0: How close do you want to be?
1: Not that close.
0: Uh, It's more like the hotel room two beds kind of situation.
1: (laughs) All right, good morning, as Kip said. Uh, My name is Jenna, and this is my husband, Seth.
0: We've been at Sycamore View for almost nine years. At this point, when we first came here, we were just a young, engaged couple, uh, fresh out of college. Now we're married with two lovely little girls, um, Evie, who's almost four and is planning a birthday party that she's probably invited you to. Um, and if she's not, if she hasn't, she probably will soon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Libby is a couple of months old, I don't know.
1: She's almost five months old.
0: Yeah, That's, that checks out, that sounds about right. Um, we met doing a summer internship at White Station Church of Christ here in Memphis. Uh, we came from, um, I came from Middle Tennessee Um, Jenna grew up in a foreign country, uh, Dallas, Texas, and um, we decided to make Memphis our home. Um, Our entire adult lives have revolved around teenagers. Uh, We met working with teenagers, we fell in love working around teenagers, we got engaged at church camp with teenagers all around us, and we've spent our entire professional career working with teenagers, and here at Sycamore View, we volunteer with teenagers. Um, so, if you don't know us, that's probably because you're not in between the ages of 13 and 18. Um, and if you're looking for us any given Sunday, uh, probably check the impact 1st for probably somewhere up there.
1: So, out of college, um, Seth started working at Streets Ministries here in Memphis, and then uh, moved over to Harding Academy, where he's now one of the campus ministers. He's our middle school athletic director, and he is also um, the best track coach in the state of Tennessee. Thanks, Sage. Sage agrees, Sage has to agree.
0: Um, and Jenna, uh, my lovely wife, worked as a youth apprentice here at Sycamore View uh, before becoming one of the youth ministers. She did that for four years. Um, she's now at Harding with, uh, with the rest of us. Um, and uh, she's the other campus minister. She teaches Christian formation to eighth graders.
1: And Mark and Stoney, um, who preached the past two weeks, both mentioned um, how wonderful the body at Sycamore View is and what an incredible ministry team we have. And I can um, certainly attest to both of those things. Um, When I decided to step down as the youth minister, um, we didn't even discuss the possibility of leaving Sycamore View or going to another church. This is home. Um, You are our people. You're the people that we want to help raise our daughters, and we are so grateful um, for that. But I can also tell you how amazingly blessed we are to be led by our shepherds here at Sycamore View. Um, When I left to go work at Harding, one of the things that I was um, most sad about leaving was our shepherds' meetings, And if you know anything about church leadership, you know that that's not normal. People shouldn't miss going to elders meetings, but I love spending time um, with those men. We are led by good, godly, kind men um, who think and pray and who wrestle with the word to make sure that um, we are seeing Jesus here in this building and that the city of Memphis is seeing Jesus more clearly. And that is um, a real blessing and an honor.
0: Uh, For the past few weeks, we've been uh, going through a series out of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And in this passage, God is speaking to Moses, um, and this is uh, is what he says. Uh, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Uh, and so over the past couple of weeks, we've had some guest speakers while Josh is on sabbatical. Um, I tease Josh a lot about when he goes out of town, he always brings in these speakers who are better than he is. Um, Eric Wilson, his own wife, Casey, um, I feel like in a couple of years, he's just going to have Truett Noah do it. And we're going to realize, I think Josh has conned us all, and he's really the weakest link in this entire family. <laughs> um, and so over the past couple of weeks, we have gotten to hear from uh, Mark Powell and Stoney Ramsey. Um, Mark taught us about the, the first part of this passage, the Lord, the Lord, that name of God. And Mark remind us, reminded us that God is personal.
1: And that name reminds us that God is holy other.
0: And it reminds us that God is present.
1: And that God is relational. And last week, um, Stoney Ramsey shared with us, reminding us that God is the compassionate and gracious God. And as his people, we should be compassionate and gracious as well.
0: And Stoney read numerous examples from scripture that reminded us of that compassion and grace from God. And so. If we get to the end of this sermon, if you're watching online, if you're listening to the podcast, and you decide, man, this sermon's terrible, uh, go back and listen to the past two because those were really good sermons. They were great. And so we apologize if we ruin the flow that's been happening through Exodus 34.
1: So as we begin this morning, we just want to take a few minutes and hear, um, really hear these words from God. So I'm going to invite you to just sit back and relax for a few minutes. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, If you don't have a toddler sitting next to you that you need to keep an eye on, um, just kind of listen to this, let this flow over you as we read God's word. The Lord, the Lord... Compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness.
0: God has anger going through uh, my undergrad classes, one of the classes that that impacted me the most was taught by a guy named Lee Camp. It was a biblical ethics class. One of the things that really sticks out from from that class that still sticks with me today, is we spent a lot of time talking about this idea of false dichotomies. And a a false dichotomy is this situation where you're presented uh, with with a choice. Uh, You have two options. Um, And and what we talked about in this biblical ethics class is that a lot of times um, when Jesus is presented two choices, He doesn't choose either one, right? He comes up with this third way. And so we spent a lot of time in this class talking about the third way of Jesus, uh, where we as humans typically see one or the other. Jesus is constantly going off in unexpected ways. Um, And so we'd look at a situation, um, you know, like uh, two people that you love are being held um, hostage, and you're told that you have to choose between one or the other. How do you find a third way in that situation?
1: but false dichotomies don't just have to be life or death. You could say pie or cake. Um, Cookies. Wrong. Uh, Cookies or brownies. Um, But why would you choose if you can go to Muddy's and have all four?
0: um, And partisan politics does this to to us all the time, right? Uh, We're presented two options, right? Uh, we're, We're asked Um, Do you support uh, locking up immigrant children, or do you support the free flow of drugs across the southern border?
1: I don't really love either of those options. So instead, what if we had a conversation? What if we thought and worked together to come up with a third way?
0: Um, Jesus does it differently, right? when he's given two choices, he's searching for that third way. It's what he does in John chapter eight. It's this story of a a woman caught in adultery. And they take this woman and they drag her in front of Jesus. And and they they go up to Jesus and they say, "Um, teacher, the the law says we should stone this woman. And so Jesus has presented this choice, right? Um, Do you follow a law that leads to death or do you permit lawlessness? And so Jesus picks a different option and he bends over he starts riding in the sand and he says let him who is without sin cast the first stone and the, the people who are there ready to stone this woman they drop their stones and they walk away so the law of death doesn't win right but then he turns to the woman and the last thing he says in the story is go now leave your life of sin and so the idea of lawlessness doesn't win either so when presented these two options Jesus says neither I'm going a third way
1: So, God Himself tells us in Exodus 34 that He gets angry. He says it up front. But the problem is that when it comes to God's anger, we typically have these two camps. Either um, God is Zeus, and He's angry, and He's armed with lightning bolts, and He is ready to zap you at a moment's notice, or God is a fuzzy bunny who would never hurt anyone. And uh, I'm not sure that either of those are, are accurate. I don't think either of those are true.
0: And so if God isn't this Zeus-like figure, and if God isn't just a fluffy bunny, then we need to find a third way to talk about the anger of God. Because the truth is, we want a God that has anger. We want a God that gets angry. We just don't want a God that gets angry the same way that we get angry.
1: God is love.
0: Uh, John tells us in in first John that love isn't just a characteristic of God. Right? It's not like wisdom or creativity. It's not something that God has. Love is who He is. First um, John four sixteen says this God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them.
1: But this love isn't just a warm feeling that God has towards us, but God does have warm feelings towards us, right? Stoney talked about that when he talked about compassion last week. But these words together, love and faithfulness, they paint a picture of something different. It paints a picture of this idea of an undying, unchanging, never-ending love.
0: So in Exodus 34, uh, what, what we're, what's going on in this story is that the, the Israelites, the people of God, have been in slavery for 400 plus years. And so all that they've known, all that this generation has known is slavery. They, they've seen the gods of Egypt. Um, they've seen the religions of Egypt. And so they come out uh, from, from slavery, and God is proclaiming something new to them. And, and so and, and here it is. God is... Uh, proclaiming this idea that he is abounding in love and faithfulness, and that would have changed their entire world. It would have been world-shifting because the gods of Egypt required appeasement, right? Um, Their love was temporary. It depended on sacrifices. It depended on uh, doing the right things at the right time, and if you didn't do the right thing at the right time, then the rain wouldn't come or the gods wouldn't bless you the way that you wanted to be blessed,
1: and for us, people who live in a world where when things get challenging relationally, we just bail, go find another relationship, right? This idea can be world shifting for us as well. Because God walks with his people through 40 years of whining and complaining in the desert. Anyone who's ever taken a road trip with small children, can you imagine 40 years of that Um, He walks with his people through generations of idolatry where they choose somebody else altogether to follow. He walks with them through the murder of his own son, and he walks with us when we reject that son every day. John um, tells us more about God's love in his gospel. John 3.16, you probably know, says, um, "'For God so loved the world "'that he gave his one and only son.'" that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And what John could have said here was, for God so loved the world, who did not love him back, he gave his one and only son. This isn't fair weather love. This is no matter what love. God is abounding in love and faithfulness. Faithful love, loving faithfulness.
0: God has anger, and that anger is slow to happen.
1: As Seth said, um, the truth is that we want God to get angry from time to time. Um, We just don't want him to get angry in the same way that we get angry.
0: Right, because our anger comes when we feel mistreated. We feel like something, we feel aggrieved. We feel like something wrong has happened to us.
1: Whereas God's anger is directed at injustice, brokenness, wickedness, um, evil in the world where something wrong has happened in the world as a whole.
0: Our anger is inherently selfish and narcissistic. Um, It's usually unjust and disproportionate, and we are quick to anger.
1: But God's anger is selfless. It seeks to set the world right. It's just and it's proportionate. He is slow to anger.
0: Anybody have stories in the Bible that you struggle with? Like you you read a story and it just makes you uncomfortable? Um, I do. Uh, David and Bathsheba losing their son after David's sin. That's a hard story for me. Um, Ananias and Sapphira being struck down for light. That's a hard story for me. You know what story I don't struggle with? Jesus clearing the temple. I love that story, right? Uh, Because Jesus comes into the temple, He sees all of these religious people taking advantage of other people, right? The people who are proclaiming religion taking advantage of other people. And and Jesus says, man, we're going to have to do something about this. And so Jesus makes a whip and just starts beating people in the temple. I love that story because I want a God that looks at injustice and doesn't go, huh, man, sucks for them, right? Like I want a God who sees injustice and says, I'm going to go get a whip and I'm going to come back here right? That's the God I want. I want a God that sees evil and brokenness um, and is moved to action. I want a God that has anger towards those things. And I think within each one of us, there's also a hunger for that anger.
1: God is love, and that love is abounding. Um, I was an English major in college Um, So, I have a pretty piece of paper that does me no good, if you're thinking about being an English major. Um, One of the requirements for being an English major is that you have to be a complete nerd. Um, Specifically, you have to be a complete nerd about things like words and word origins. So when the Bible throws out a word like abounding that you might expect in a Jane Austen novel, but you're not probably throwing that around in day-to-day conversation, um, I can't help but Google it. I just wanna know a little bit more. And if you Google the word abounding, this is what you find. The word abounding has two main roots to it. The first is this idea of from, but the second root is where it gets really good. And we have two ideas here, the idea of a wave, Or a surge of water,
0: and so when God said His love is abounding, um, it means that His love isn't just a trickle, right? It's not just a a lake; Um, it's a tsunami that the shore can't control. It can't contain. Uh, God's love is overflowing and flooding. Um, His love surges over everything, and it submerges everything in its path. And so His he He doesn't say, "My love is sufficient." He doesn't say, "My love." Uh, I I have enough love. He says, I am abounding in love. It's like a a surge.
1: So while God's anger is slow to happen, his love and his faithfulness have no breaks. They are never ending. They are never ceasing.
0: Um, I mentioned David and Bathsheba a moment ago. Um, If you don't know that story, um, here's the story. David um, is the king uh, of Israel. Uh, he sees a woman that he's interested in. He already has plenty of women because he's the king, but he sees a woman that he's interested in, interested in and so he sleeps with this woman. And this woman is the, the wife of one of his friends, right? Um, so, already off the bat, not a very good thing for, for David to do. Uh, but then David wants to cover his sin, right? And so, what does he do to, to cover his sin? He has his friend killed, right? And so, we have David, uh, a guy who um, had everything that he could ever want but wasn't satisfied. Um, took something that wasn't his, right, um, thought something was rightfully his that was not his, and so he, he sleeps with his friend's wife and then has his uh, friend killed. But that's not the end of David's story, right? That's not the defining truth of David's story. Instead, God's love, God's overwhelming love, becomes the truth of David's story. Later on in Scripture, um, we see David called uh, a man after God's own heart, um, the book of Psalms, 150 of those things. A lot of those are these poems about God's love and faithfulness. And so this man um, who had done things that, that most of us would never even imagine ourselves doing um, still cannot help but write about this overwhelming, surging, abounding, uh, abounding love of God. God has anger. And that anger is slow to happen, and that anger looks like different things at different times. Um, being a parent, working with teenagers, it's taught us a lot about love, and uh, one of the things that it's taught us is that wrath is a necessary part of love. Right? Um, if God is love, then His wrath is a necessary part. Of that love. Um, I can't name many things that I love more uh, than my two little girls. And because I love them so much, you know what they get to experience every once in a while? My wrath. Um, Merriam-Webster gives two definitions of wrath, right? Uh, the first is extreme anger. That's not really the kind of wrath I'm talking about. Um, the second definition is punishment for a crime or an offense. And that's the kind of wrath um, that, that my children get to experience and will continue to get to experience. Um,
1: but not Libby. She's right. Still she is still perfect. Innocent. Yeah. Yes. Right. Stay tuned. Minus all the spitting up. She can't help it. Um, yeah, so actions have consequences. We know that. Everything that we do, all of the decisions that we make have consequences. Some of those consequences feel great and are awesome.
0: You go to work and you get to collect a paycheck.
1: Some of those consequences are a little bit more painful.
0: You grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan, so life is disappointing.
1: Yeah. I'm very aware of the fact right now that my parents are watching, and you're going to have to deal with that later. Hi, Gene. Hi, Candy. Yeah. Good luck, too. Yeah. Um, Actions have consequences. That's true in our relationship with our daughters. Um, That's true in our relationship with God. Sometimes um, the choices, the not-so-great choices that we make, require active wrath, where there is a very specific punishment for the choices that we've made, for the actions that we've taken. So, our three-year-old decides to paint the table instead of the paper. She would never do that, add a little to the wall as well. Um, so, she has to do some cleaning, and she's not allowed to paint for a couple of days. Um, or one of my students cheats on their homework. They would never, right? Um, they get a zero on that assignment. They've got to meet with an administrator. You get pulled over for speeding. You would never. You have to pay a fine. And um, These are active wrath. There is a tangible reaction uh, punishment to our actions.
0: Uh, but sometimes we get to experience passive wrath. And as a coach, passive wrath is just my favorite kind of wrath.
1: Normal um, people don't have favorite kinds of wrath.
0: I do. Um, so in passive wrath, we simply get what we want. All right? um, so here, here's what I mean. Um, a, as a coach, I don't have an attendance policy. All right. Um, come to practice if you want. Don't come to practice if you don't want. Um, There are about 70 kids on our track roster. Uh, Sage, have you ever seen 70 people at track practice? No, sir. Me neither. (laughs) Um, We never have 70 people at track practice. Some people are there every single day. Um, They're there before I get there, and when I'm driving home, I'm looking out, and they're still doing sprints on the football field. Other people come when it's convenient for them. And so here's what passive wrath looks like. I don't get mad, I don't get angry, I don't lose sleep over it, I don't yell. But after a month, we have our first track meet. And you know who does the best at that track meet? People who came to practice, right? Um, People who have been there. And so passive wrath is simply allowing someone to feel the natural consequences of a decision. Uh, God does this to me all the time right? Um, I'll be pursuing something other than God, and God says, okay, you want to pursue blank instead of me? Go for it, right? He turns me over uh, to what my heart is desiring. Um, I love the Old Testament uh, because it's the same story every single time. All we do is just change the the names. All we do is just change the characters, all right? The story goes like this. Uh, The people of God um, are, are hanging out, and God says, hey, do this. And the people of God go, oh, look what the Canaanites and the Moabites are doing. What if we went and did that instead? And God says, you probably don't want to do that. Why don't you just listen to what I said and do what I said would be good for you? And they're like, nah, I think we want to do what the Canaanites and the Moabites are doing. And so they go and they follow what the Canaanites and Moabites are doing. And after a couple of years, they realize, hey, this isn't at all what we thought it was going to be. Um, And so they turn back to God. And every single time God is there because he's abounding in love, right? He hands them over to their desires. He lets them experience this passive wrath. Um, But every single time that they cry out for him, he's abounding in love and faithfulness. God has anger, right? It's slow, but it's there. Um, Sometimes that anger is active, and there are tangible consequences, uh, tangible actions from God Uh, And sometimes that anger, that wrath is passive, where we just experience the natural consequences of what we've chosen.
1: God is love. That love is abounding. And that love looks like covenant.
0: We can't fully understand God's faithful love until we understand this idea of covenant. Uh, Covenant's another one of those words, kind of like abounding, uh, that we probably don't throw around every day, but I think most of us can wrap our minds around covenant when we consider marriage. Uh, This legally binding promise, Uh, two parties enter into uh, this promise, and there are consequences if either party doesn't hold up their end of the deal, Um, but there are benefits and beauty uh, when that covenant is is flourishing and going well.
1: So in Genesis 12, um, we come into this story where God is working to pick up the pieces of his creation, which has been um, shaken, shattered even by sin. So in Genesis 12, God decides to make a covenant, one of these agreements, with a man named Abram. And in this covenant, God promises to bless Abram and his family, which is a whole other story because Abram doesn't have a family at this point. And then Abram and his family are charged to go out and to bless the world. So God locks himself in to restore his creation through the creation that broke it in the first place. That in and of itself shows some faithful love, right? That he chooses us. When we messed it up in the first place, wouldn't it have been so much easier to just start over, pick a different creation to try to fix things? Giraffes seem obedient.
0: When have you ever told a giraffe what
1: to do? I don't know. That was the
0: weirdest example.
1: You're welcome. Um, But instead, God chooses, (laughs) he chooses to use um, the people that broke it in the first place to try to clean up the mess.
0: You need to go to the zoo start yelling at giraffes, see what happens. Um, Genesis 15 is where this story takes a little bit of a bizarre turn. Uh, And God takes this crazy, faithful love a step further. Um, God comes to Abram. He tells him to prepare some animals. Uh, And so he takes uh, like a heifer and a goat. Um, There's a ram, uh, a couple of birds, doves, pigeons, all sorts of things. Um, And he takes these animals and he cuts them in half right? And then he makes this pathway of animal halves. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Right? Um, We've got this pathway of animal halves lining each side. Uh, it brings a whole new meaning to walking down the aisle, right? Anybody engaged? Do we have any engaged couples? Because um, I have an idea. What if instead of flower petals, we just all come start flinging animal halves around at your wedding? It's just an idea. File it away from, for later.
1: So, um, while this sounds bizarre to us, in the ancient Near East this would have been um, a fairly well-known practice. This was called cutting a covenant. In fact, if you look at Genesis 15 verse 18, um, it says in our Bibles that the Lord made a covenant with Abram, but the original Hebrew actually says that the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. So, um, the term cut a deal with someone comes from the same idea, the same process. Now, normally, after making this beautiful carcass pathway, um, both parties would then walk through the path as a way to say, if I fail to keep my end of the deal, then may I end up like these bloody animal halves.
0: But God does something different. Right? And verse 12 says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And in verse 17, it says, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch passes between the pieces.
1: So our fire here is symbolic of God's presence. You can think of um, God in the burning bush talking to Moses in Exodus 3. Um, you could think of the pillar of fire leading the Israelites through the wilderness in Exodus 13.
0: And so this fire pot passes through alone, right? Abram doesn't go through with it. And and so God makes this deal alone, right, without us, like his love is not dependent on us. Um, and, And so it's as if God is saying, if this covenant fails, may it be my blood that is shed just like these animals.
1: And we all know the deal gets broken time and time again, all throughout the Bible and all throughout our lives. Um, by the very people that God chose to enter into this covenant with.
0: And God's abounding, faithful love kept its promise through the shedding of blood.
1: So what does abounding love and faithfulness look like? It looks like Jesus. It looks like the Son of God torn apart, sacrificed for us, when we're the ones who failed to keep up our end of the deal.
0: If you're one of our our shepherds or prayer leaders who's going to be receiving people today, you can go ahead and start making your way um, to, to those locations. God is love. Those are the three truest words ever spoken. It's who He is.
1: And God has anger. That anger is directed at sin, evil, and injustice
0: love and anger. These two truths aren't opposites. True love requires anger when the world isn't what true love requires.
1: And for too much of Christian history, we have talked only about God's anger. We've ignored His love. And for too much of Christian history, we have ignored God's anger altogether. Um, Seth and I, like we said earlier, work with teenagers all day long, starting in August. Um, and some of those teenagers believe in God, and some of them don't.
0: Um, we're also millennials. Yay, avocado toast. Never had it. Um, we're also millennials. One of the demographics that Christianity uh, is losing quickly. And so we watched a lot of people our age and a lot of people younger than us walk away from faith. And I think a lot of that comes... Uh, from God's anger uh, because uh, a lot of us heard more sermons on God's anger than God's love. And and as we grew up and got into scripture as teenagers and adults, we realized that the Bible makes a lot bigger deal out of God's abounding love uh, than it does about his anger.
1: And so some good people recognized that this was an issue. We had people that were leaving the church because they didn't know um, how to reconcile this. And so it was decided to just stop talking about God's anger. Let's swing the pendulum in the other direction. But obviously that's not a solution either.
0: Because young people, all of us really, like we want a God that gets angry. We want a God that answers, that hears and answers our prayers about injustice and suffering in the world.
1: So the solution isn't to never speak of God's anger, and the solution isn't to only speak of God's anger. The solution is to speak truthfully about who God is, just like he does in Exodus 34. Um, We have to speak truthfully about his anger and his love. His anger is powerful, but it's slow, and it's birthed out of a love that is faithful and abounding.
0: God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. That's what we see in Exodus. And in the New Testament, that God of Exodus takes on flesh. And we get to see in Jesus Christ what that looks like. And now we, the church, are called to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus.
1: So we are called to be slow to anger. Should we be angry from time to time? Absolutely. There are plenty of things in this world that are worthy of a godly anger. Our anger should burn against injustice and evil the same way that God's does. Brokenness in our world should move us in our souls and it should make us mad from time to time.
0: But too often in our relationships, um, on our social media, at our dinner tables, uh, while we're driving down 240, right? We're abounding in anger. Instead of abounding in love and faithfulness.
1: So, as we leave this place today, our prayer um, for all of us is that we will know a God who is slow to anger and is abounding in love and faithfulness, and that we would be people who are slow to anger and who are abounding in love and faithfulness. Our homes, our city, Our nation, our world, need a surge of God's faithful love.
0: Um, Kip and the praise team uh, are going to lead us in some worship. If you um, have something that you want to bring before the church, there are shepherds up here um, to to meet you and and talk with you. If you just have have something that you want to pray over, that you don't really want to share with everybody, um, there are men and women uh, scattered uh, throughout the room. Uh, that would love to to pray with you. So we invite you to respond um, however you need to respond in in a way that God is going to move you closer and closer to his uh, abundant um, love.